And so we're finally here with the final episode of the Year in Memes podcast, at least for this year, looking back at 2020. We'll be, we'll be back next year for 2021. Now, you know, I, I obviously have a long history with memes on the internet. I will admit, though, I'm starting to feel a little bit out of touch when it comes to the new memes as I reach my last year of the 20s uh, in 2021. To that end, you know, in order to help bridge that generational divide, I'm bringing on my friend AJ Angelia to help this old fogey out. So AJ, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves, your name, what you do, and your favorite meme of all time. Thanks for having me, Paolo. Um, my name is AJ, as you said before, and I work as an ICU nurse over here in New Jersey. I would say that my favorite meme format definitely came from this year was the dog on the computer in the in the middle of a war zone because there was a lot of um, nursing memes that came out of that. And I find each one of them like equally hilarious. All right. So we'll, we'll definitely get in, into talking about nursing memes. And also, you know, fun fact, me and AJ actually both went uh, to the same school and then we were in the same Filipino Student Association. We had like a lineage system basically. And so he's like, what's it? You're like my grade great little or I something like that great, great yeah you're my great great grand big <laughs> okay yeah 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 so you know that there's definitely like the generational difference there so aj you know before we dive into the meat of this episode i wanted to ask you a couple questions right kind of set expectations so obviously people have different definitions on what a meme is and that definition has changed over the years right like i initially viewed it as you know like lol cats i can have cheeseburger right like that kind of like template meme but i feel like the it, the, the idea of a meme has become a lot more fluid and flexible. So how would you define, what, what would you say a meme is when I told you, hey, AJ, want to come on for a meme podcast I'm doing? What did you think? <laughs> you know, uh, defining a meme nowadays is just so abstract. It's There's so many different takes that you could have. Videos can be meme in my like understanding. I try to reference like a TikTok or a tiny video and I call it a Vine and that can also be a meme like R.I.P. Vine, but then I feel like it's just a satirical media that you can consume in, in the broad sense. And that's very bite-sized. Yeah, one of the things, you know, over the past couple of episodes I've kind of come across is that, you know, memes, I think, are to some degree, right, like participatory, right? It's not like something that, you know, like, you know, like the difference between, you know, say the Jake from State Farm commercials we see all over the place, right? Like, in a sense, those can become a meme, but like the, the, the original video itself isn't a meme, right? It's something that we create on our own, right? It's, it's not something that's like given to us. How would you define the difference between virality and a meme, right? Like obviously a meme often becomes viral, but not everything that is viral is a meme, right? Or is it the case? Is, is that the case? Is it, has a meme become a shorthand for virality? Definitely not. Definitely not. Anyone can create a meme for sure. And it can be so niche that only your group of friends can understand it. Okay, cool. So then, you know, the other part I kind of know, I, I, I kind of want to ask is, you know, I think the places, one of my hypotheses is that the places we spend our time online really dictate the kind of memes we come across and what we think of as a meme. So I think the memes you'll see on Instagram or TikTok are a lot different than the memes you might see on, say, Twitter or on Reddit, right? So where do you spend your time online and how do you think that informs the kind of memes that you see? I definitely, I spend most of my time on Instagram, good handful on TikTok, more so on Instagram. And because I have a nursing Instagram, that's where I consume most of my memes. It's not like I follow these other meme pages or whatnot outside of that Instagram. It's mainly on my nursing Instagram that I consume the memes. Okay, cool. So a nursing Instagram, right? So what, so what's it like, like running a nursing Instagram? Like what, what is the purpose of running it? And then, you know, what kind of content do you make and what kind of content lives on the, the ecosystem of nursing Instagram? The content that I produce is more so for myself. It's, there's some educational stuff. I talk about 
my nursing journey, life updates. I've delved a lot into my Filipino-American identity, which I didn't expect to do. But it's like a learning, it's a learning process for me that I share online. You were saying before, like, what type of memes do I run into on this nursing video? I mean, they're like the core nursing slash medical meme pages, like Nurse Life RN, Propofol Poppy. 2020 has been like a year of chains, I, I would say, right? Like it's been a change for a lot of us in a lot of different ways. You know, obviously, as a as a nurse, you know, you've definitely experienced a lot of that change in in a very you know visceral way. Um, but I think you know the change in our broader society as well, kind of like you know, is reflected in the memes we have. So for this episode, you know, I want to talk about the social trends that COVID nineteen and otherwise helped save our helped save this year, and how that is reflected in the online discourse, especially with regard to me not maybe not necessarily memes per se, but kind of tr- overall trends of memes. Um, take a look at the forest, so to speak, as opposed to the individual trees. How does that sound? All right, so you know, let's let's hop back to like talking about the the, the medical uh, Instagram, right? So, you know, as a nurse right and you know you're probably like you're on sift or you're at home after after your sift and you're looking at medical instagram what are the kind of memes that that you see it's like very specific to the nursing room like you know interactions with pharmacy with doctors with residents tiny minute things that only nurses would know like when it comes to changing patients patient care like secrets of nursing stuff like that but then when 2020 rolled around and so did covid a lot of the memes also took hold of that like ppe nursing and hospital management mental health the struggle of mental health and i feel like a lot of the nursing page the meme pages that i followed took a really serious turn and stopped their meme content and addressed a lot of things head on like covid racial injustice and then went back to making memes Okay, so like using the platform for for you know to speak to like these more serious issues, right? What in a time when maybe levity might not have been like the most appropriate, you know, response directly instead of like in the meme format. With COVID coming specifically, obviously, you know, a lot of things came a lot darker, and you know, you said there was a change in content, you know, focusing more on PPE and stuff. Um, have you noticed like the tone of the memes? Like when when they did go back to making meme content, was it like a darker tone, or was it you know still keeping things light and and, and a lot of levity? Like how did those change over time? I feel that because a lot of the people consuming the content were going through the struggle more so, the experience of the of the consumer change, and the me- and like I don't know the the levity that you were saying didn't really change too much. So the understanding and the feeling of of consuming the meme changed. What what do you mean the the understanding and, and, and consuming of the meme? Like how did it change for you, I guess? Because like everyone's experience with the pandemic was is different, whether you're working um, from home, like so there are some nurses who work from home and whatnot, but there's still a handful who struggle with PPE, staffing, management, um, long work hours, being overworked. And because all of that is internalized and it's and it's a lived experience people who have done that understand those memes to a much more like granular effect they like emotionally resonate with you more it's like oh i've been there oh yeah and then i I laugh it off and then nothing changes (laughs) 
So what do you think about that? Like, obviously, memes alone can't make change, right? But do you think memes can maybe help spread awareness? You know, definitely, like, you know, again, shout out to you and major thanks to you and all of our, you know, frontline healthcare workers. You know, obviously, there's a lot more that needs to be done from, you know, the federal and, and, and you know, governance level in order to help support you guys, right? Do you think nursing and medical memes can, you know, help promote this kind of change, right? Help raise awareness of this kind of situation? Or like, is it some, or is it more meant for like internal consumption within the community to kind of like a coping mechanism almost? Uh, I would say both, you know, cause I feel like there's a good handful of people who maybe are not as outspoken or maybe can't find a community to voice these concerns and having a, like a satire, satirical format like memes to spread that awareness to show that you know you're not alone in what you're struggling with can form a a sense of confidence or knowing that you do have a group of people who share these experiences that you can then maybe bring up in a policy or or public type of way so it sounds like memes are almost like a way of validation 100 yeah like it's, it's validating that i am not crazy like i am I'm not the only one dealing with this, right? And, you know, what I'm dealing with, other people are dealing with, and maybe in some way that makes it a little bit easier for you to deal with, you know, the nonsense going on. Mm-hmm. And, and speaking speaking of nonsense, right? So, you know, the, one of the big trends this year, I think, is the evolution of Karen, right? Um, so have you have you dealt with Karens? Uh, you know, obviously with HIPAA, you can't speak in too much detail, but like, you know, have you spoken with Karens, you know, dealing with the, with the ICU and stuff? Nothing, not really like an incident comes to mind or a specific person, but I've definitely had my fair share of patient family members or significant others who feel very entitled who then i have to you know ma'am like please i cannot talk to you in that tone we need to have a civil discussion blah 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 okay so you know before you know covid and before 2020 what was your impression of what a karen was if you can remember back to to pre-2020 i feel like pre-2020 karen was still like a poppin term that was used especially in i don't know in my social circles the term karen was used like you know the blonde with a short hair bob <laughs> yeah i mean for me for me when i you know when i think back to like you know obviously yeah karen's been around for a while uh shout out to the slate decodering podcast they actually did a really great episode on the history of karen you know and it, there is you know like a, a basis on especially racial you know differentiator of of this you know entitled privileged white woman predominantly right but for me you know online karen i always associated with, you know, the idea of, can I please speak with a manager, right? So, you know, to some degree for me, at least me personally, right, the racial component wasn't quite as prevalent as it became in 2020, right? What did you first notice that Karen really became a trending topic in 2020 more so than perhaps in previous years? You know, when you bring up the part about the racialization or race in in the Karen meme and what and our understanding of what it is, that definitely made a huge 180 change or added on like the racial part of it. Because before I used to think that it was just someone who, like a white woman who would complain, like a suburban white woman who would complain to the manager. And then now looking looking at our show notes, I'm like, oh, yeah, Amy Cooper <laughs> in Central Park. Yeah, the, the Central Park Karen, right? Uh, with, who, with with uh, Christian Co- with Christian Cooper, no relation. Um, you know, had to deal with all that the same weekend that that the incident with George Floyd happened, and then you know Lisa Alexander, kind of like you know in the weeks after that was the San Francisco Karen. You know, there's definitely like a, a I think on top of all of the discourse around you know uh, racial injustice in 
in America. And I, I'm still not entirely sure like how Karen shifted over it from, hey, I, I want to speak to the manager to, you know, I, you know, like basically a, a stand-in or, or a caricature almost, you know, of this particular kind of individual. Maybe it was like some taking the attributions of our previous understanding of what a Karen was and then being like, oh, they kind of modeled, they kind of had the same um, behaviors and then making them one, one Karen. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, right, like the, the Code of Ring podcast did a really excellent job on, on breaking down like the history of Karen. But like, you know, obviously the, the 2020, I think it, it, it can't, we can't really talk about 2020 trends in, in, you know, online discourse without mentioning Karen taking on this whole new meaning. I mean, you know, the, the San Francisco actually, pa- I think San Francisco passed the Karen Act, which is the caution against racially exploitative non-emergency calls, basically. So, you know, if you make a call using 911 for something that doesn't really need to be a 911 call, because, you, you know, you're being you know, you're being a racist Karen. Uh, you can get in trouble for that. And it, the fact that they went so far to make the acronym match that name, uh, I think, speaks volumes. Like the impact of that. Now, frankly, we're two we're two Asian guys, right? So you know, there I have seen some discourse that the term Karen can perhaps be a little bit sexist and perhaps also like a little bit ageist as well. Where it's like specifically toward women, right? Not that, there is like a cat. A version Ken, uh, which is more for like a white male, but that's not nearly as common as um, Karen has become, right? And then also ageist was, you know, probably somebody in like their late 40s, 50s, 60s or, or, or whatnot in, in that generation. So what is, would be your take on the idea that, you know, Karen is perhaps, while as much as it is a criticism of a very real problem in our society, is in and of itself to some degree problematic in that regard? That is such a loaded question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, but like, um, I definitely do see the criticism and the the dialogue that comes with Karen being like a sexist term. You kind of pigeonhole, I guess, women in this or a caricature of women that you see into this, into this judgment that you create. And I can kind of work in the in the subconscious and, you know, how you interact with people on a daily basis. It is kind of uncomfortable, you know, having a very like women centered meme like caricature of what a Karen is. If our goal as a society is to like, you know, get to a place where there's more equity and, and, and equality for all, right? So obviously, right, like the the rise of the use of the term Karen for better or for worse, right, has introduced ha- has maybe maybe not itself introduced, but has come along with the fact that, you know, we're having more conversations about race in our country today, right? More than we did last year, more than we did in the years past. And Karen has kind of come with that and has kind of come to stand in for, frankly, the very real problems, you know, facing facing Black and minority Americans, you know, across the country. On one hand, that's almost like a positive, right? Where, like, Karen can, can stand in to, like, like, almost be like a call out like hey you're being a real karen right now about you know whatever right like memes in in my head are almost like a shorthand where there's like a lot of meaning packed into like an image karen kind of fits that in a sense where there's, there's a lot of shorthand when you use the term karen on the other hand right like you like you said there is like a lot of judgment that can be problematic in and of itself so is it like are we just replacing one problem for another problem or is like one problem a lesser problem than the other and so you know it's kind of may, may, maybe steps rolling it back like what what do you like, think? Where do you this? weigh where do you weigh the pros and the cons of using this term? Like you said before, with the rise of the understanding or the need to talk about racial injustice, I would hope that it kind of trumps whatever negativity is coming from how we use the term and what other stereotypes come from the term Karen. I mean, we're also acknowledging that 
misogyny still exists and sexism still exists. And that should always be something that should be thought of. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a conversation that, that you know, obviously shouldn't just stop with 2020, right, and, and, and be carried on into 2021. Moving, moving on to more more woes in our society that, that, that we reflected in our memes. Um, economic woes. So, you know, obviously 2020 has been a hard year for the economy and for people affected, you know, by shutdowns, by COVID wrecking, you know, their, their livelihoods and industries. Funny, funnily enough, right, I have actually recorded some episodes of this podcast before the six hundred dollar stimulus memes started, um, so what were your take like when you saw like the like if you could describe? I don't have any examples, unfortunately, prepared. But when you saw like these memes, like how what would you describe this, this wave of six hundred dollar stimulus memes? If you saw any of these come up, oh my god! Uh, when I think about that, oh my god! I well, I see a lot of tweets. It's more for tweets than memes that I see. What's the general sentiment of the memes in general, right? Not one specific meme. Oh, you're given something that's really cheap or nothing. Oh, actually, a meme that I think of is like, I got my $600 stimulus and it's the a picture of a screenshot from SpongeBob that shows like the chip, the penny, and the paperclip or something like that. I, I've seen, I've seen that. One. I've, I've seen one that's like you know um, from Arrested Development, right? That, there's that line from I think it's I think it's Arrested Development um, where it's like it's a bunch of it's like it's a bottle of milk. How much could it cost? Thirty dollars or whatever from like a very rich you know f- character in the show uh, who basically kind of commenting like oh they're completely out of touch with the normal price of things, right? And it's like you know it's it's replaced with like you know some politician being like oh it's a stimulus it's a it's a it's three months rent how much could it cost six hundred dollars or whatever or just like just kind of showing that like you know to some degree people feel like politicians are just completely out of touch with how much six hundred dollars actually would be helpful or not or rather how minimally helpful it would be right i think that kind of points toward like a larger larger dissatisfaction i think with kind of like the current economic situation in in america right now right and again this we are both in the states so obviously like our view of memes are very america-centric yeah i mean what's been the discourse you've seen in memes um maybe you know are there maybe related to like maybe student debt and like within nursing and medical meme space like what's what's the whole conversation about like economic woes so to speak uh within what, what you've seen this year i feel like that's something that i haven't seen too much in the in the medical realm but I will say more so in the nursing sphere, they talk about uh, travel nurses. And travel nurses are these nurses who are contracted. Usually they can be local or they can fly to, to far off places like California or the West Coast or wherever. We're in hospitals that are in need and a lot of hospitals are in shortage right now. So then what they talk about is like how travel nurses make so much money um, to kind of offset you know, all the economic woes that you're talking about now. Yeah. I mean, like, it's definitely one of the things that kind of, one of the biggest, almost existential nights that I had, uh, like, you know, this this year was kind of, I saw like a report saying that like, you know, for the millennial generation, right? Um, we make up, we're the largest portion of the workforce right now, right? Like 50%, um, 20% of the total population. But, you know, even if we're 20% of the po- total population, the millennials only hold about 3% of total wealth in the country. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so that's just like, wow, like the, the wealth and the quality is just massively like skewed right now. Right. And obviously, right. Like for me, it almost felt like a sense of nihilism. It's like, what's the point of almost like any of this? Right. Do you see, do you see like within Gen Z memes or memes from other Gen Zers, like a similar sense of nihilism? Or is that just me and, and the millennials kind of like, yeah, like this is fine. Basically, like the dog in the fire. Right. I feel like that was something I would see more on TikTok. 
like a nihilism anxiety i feel like when i hear uh some of the memes that i've seen is like comparing gen z to millennials and a it's more so like a tweet like gen z will will talk about will get loud and talk about racism and talk about economic injustice climate change but then get super anxious when saying that their order was wrong at a restaurant and that's kind of how i encapsulate the attitude of gen z in what i've seen on like tiktok and like meme culture yeah no i mean that that does see how, how I, I want me to get into that like a little bit more right because like you know there, there definitely feels like you know one of my friends i talked to um actually one of the guests from the other one of the other episodes, uh, James James Chang, he mentioned like you know recession era memes, right? So like memes from like maybe a little bit older generation of um, of millennials who are like alive during the recession era like, of two thousand eight, right? And so you know there's definitely like there's going to be like if we're not already in the recession right now, which you know is uh is 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 I feel like it's coming, right? If it hasn't happened yet, it's like you know. This, this this general anxiety I feel about just like our place in in being able to generate wealth, pay off our student debt, right? Like I remember during the presidential you know campaign, and you know a big point is like, are we going to have our student debt forgiven, right? Like you know that's that it just feels more and more helpless, right? Not to not to be too overly dramatic. I don't know. And also, this just came to mind, like you know the growth of our the growth of our wages with not keeping up with inflation and talking about how much more and more rent is being a part of our is being cut from our paycheck you know thank god i live at home because i'm able to save a little money before i head out yeah that definitely dawns on me and i would say gen z as well it's just trying to like figure out like what are we going to do basically right so you know the 600 600 stimulus isn't going to cut it basically so you know i think another part is like the pandemic has kind of caused people to seek some sort of extra income so to speak right like 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 you mentioned travel nurses trying to go like what are the some things that you see people do to try to you know either meme wise or even not memes to like make do in the pandemic when you know things are things are getting tough um i don't know what type of tiktok what I don't know what TikTok I'm on, meaning like, so in TikTok, just to, to describe some terms, like when you're on TikTok, you can fall into certain genres of TikTok because of your For You page. And I feel like some of the the type of TikTok that I've fallen into is like these uh, side gig TikTok, where there are these people who just spit out different types of ways to, to have income without doing too much um, like outside of work type of jobs like going on Google, getting Google certificates, becoming a reviewer or a uh, a, a rotary. I don't, I don't really know. But just these small type of things that hopefully you can generate income because no one, like a lot of people don't have jobs in 2020. Right. And that's actually really interesting that TikTok is being used as a platform for so many different things, right? You know, one, one thing that kind of came up, right? Like obviously there was a lot of, uh, you know, tech things that kind of came out this year. We had the PS5 and the new Xbox came out, you know, a couple months ago. Um, we had the new graphic cards, um, the 3080s. Um, we had Cyberpunk 2077, you know, the new video game that came out. And there was a uh, there was a surprising number of scalpers, actually, you know, who were basically like their, their side hustle, so to speak, would be to create bots to buy up entire inventories as soon as they went online. So normal people who was like, you know, going through and click through wouldn't be able to do that. And that became like a whole thing where people are like trying to make an extra buck by like scalping these, you know, uh, these PlayStation 5s or Xbox 360 or not Xbox 3, but a new newest version of the Xbox or these graphic cards, which 
then led to a whole county backlash of people being like, hey, that's like not cool that you're using these bots to do that. But it's also like, it's like a, I can kind of see both sides of it. Not to be like a both sides, but it's like, you know, people are trying to make a buck on, on you know, this, this, this supply and demand situation. But also like, you know, and 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 that that can be kind of scummy, but at the same time, it's also like, well, you know, it's like every, the economy is terrible for everyone right now, right? Um, now, one of the you know, going back to like you know, terms that kind of took on a whole new meaning uh, in twenty twenty, um, QAnon. So, what do you know about QAnon, AJ? Um, when I think of QAnon, I think of like ultra conservative right wing, and also I think about people in Congress or people who have won elections recently in Congress who are staunch supporters of QAnon. So do, do you know like the full backstory about QAnon? I mean, there's been, there's definitely been a lot of like reporting about like where it came from and, and, and so on, but what do you know about like where it came from and, and what it is? No, I don't really know. I, I, my understanding is that it's like a discussion <laughs> type of board. It kind of reminds me of like Reddit, but like a dark Reddit. Yeah, so I, I can give the background. I've, I've done a decent amount of, of research on this, right? So QAnon started on one of the chans. I think it was 2chan. It might have been 4chan, where basically, right, it was like on a political subreddit where people – it's almost like a role play, honestly, right? Like people would pretend to be, in this case, an anonymous user uh, who had, quote-unquote, Q-level clearance, Right, um, hence the term QAnon, and he would have these drops of text, which is seemed like almost like gibberish, right? Like random phrases, and you know, people would and and presumably, right? The the gist of a lot of these was that presumably Donald Trump was a secret, you know, secret, uh, you know, conservative agent who got elected to fight the deep state, right? Which are you know, pol- lifelong politicians who work in government, who are part of this cabal of pedophilia child traffickers who take the blood of these children and drink it so that they stay forever young. And then that they would eventually, uh, Donald Trump was conducting this uh, top secret investigation to basically out them all and on one miraculous day that they will eventually uh, you know, expose them off all these misdeeds. And you know, it, it almost feels like the, a rapture almost, right? Where it's like, you know, the second coming of, you know, the cleansing of, you know, the impure within government uh, to bring a brand new great age for America, right? So that's kind of like what QAnon was. Um, And again, it started started up on these chants of people being like, you know, I can't tell if people were taking it seriously or if people were, you know, just straight straight up role-playing. And then, you know, but it kind of gets to that point where if you role-play online, somebody's going to come in and not realize that you're role-playing and will start taking it seriously. And it kind of went from there. It kind of spread through right-wing media, especially with, you know, for example, appearing on Alex Jones's show a couple of years back um, to the point where now it's basically like, like you said, it, it affected it, it, a lot of there, there were a number of of, uh, of of federal congress of congress people who got elected believing QAnon, right? And then there are you know I remember seeing people on various news reports, interviews with various police captains and sheriffs with like they have mugs on their desk that like have QAnon phrases on them. It's like a whole other, in a sense, this is a whole other meme, right? If you think about it, right? Like it, this essentially it's a right wing meme of of this this idea of being passed around, right? That you know. For us, who generally attend in like more liberal circles, don't really get exposed to. So, how do you feel about like the fact that there's this whole meme ecosystem, this whole information ecosystem on this other side of the internet that you are not aware of that is having such an impact on "quote unquote" everyday real life? Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of when you talk about the the history and where it started, it's kind of scary how that 
all started out as like a something more satirical that kind of grew into a kind of what I understand a deep a deep web other side that I have no clear understanding about. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just the fact that you know they're like the information, the fact that like we can live almost in a completely different reality than some other people because of frankly, like the memes that we share, right. And the information that, that we pass around, how does that make it so that we can, how can we actually have like a meaningful, like rebuild our society? If people are living in like these completely different realities, is there a way to like to bridge that gap? You think that's, that's kind of hard when I think of like QAnon and I think of, I, for some reason I, I tie QAnon and Facebook kind of together because I think of, Sometimes I have these Facebook friends and my um, mainly adults who will share this type of content that looks like it was generated in like photocopied 10 million times, super gritty with, with a phrase. And it kind of looks like it came from a screenshot of a QAnon. A screenshot of a screenshot of a screenshot of a QAnon. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just knowing that that type of dialogue is being kind of indoctrinated in those circles kind of makes it even harder to build bridges between the two between two sides. Right. So, you know, obviously, right, not not the not the scary team, but this is something that, you know, Gen Z, right, and, and your generation is also going to have to like to deal with, right? Like maybe maybe QAnon is trending like a little bit older, but I'm sure there are also, right, like Gen Z right wing, you know, right wing Gen Zers who are buying into this as well, right? And, you know, a lot of the Congress people who believe in QAnon who got elected were relatively younger, right? It's not like not maybe not as young as Gen Z, but it'll definitely like younger, you know, not not like the uh, 60 or, or 50 year old, you know, traditional politician. So yeah, so you know, good luck, I guess. I don't know, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like I think, to, and some degree, I can kind of see, right? Like, even if I don't believe in QAnon by any stretch of the imagination, there is something about the whole premise of hey, there is something about our government that I don't like, that I don't trust our government, basically, right? Uh, and, and 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 I'm manifesting it in this you know, conspiracy belief that, you know, there's this Q-level agent that Donald Trump is someone trying to break it from the inside, right? Now, in, in some sense, I think that's actually a common trend, both across left and right wing, right? Like mistrust in our current authority figures. What do you make on like, like, do you see a lot of Gen Zers kind of like reflecting that kind of like sentiment of like, hey, I only jive with like, you know, what's the current status quo? Right, like, how, like what? And I, I want to change it somehow. Like, what, what? How, how does that manifest? How, how do you feel about the fact that maybe the end was like the end goal is different, but the fact that you both that everyone has this miscontent with um, authority in general. Like, what do you take? What, what's your take on that? Sure, I feel like that that that's a good thing. That you know, there may be something that we can talk about on both sides um, about this distrust in government, but the way that people on different sides kind of approach it can be can vary from from different uh i don't know from the different viewpoints i want to say that uh definitely nowadays especially with the election of biden there are, it's kind of a clear i've seen it mainly on tiktok people who are more so content with the election and then there are people who are more so like kind of still angry and always waiting, always wanting for change, never settling. Right. Like there's, def- there's definitely like, for example, I think in Congress, that's kind of like like uh, emulated, like most prominently seen, for example, in the conflict between AOC and Nancy Pelosi, right? Kind of like reflecting like the two 
kind of the two parts of like the Democratic Party, right? Where it's like, oh, we're kind of happy that, you know, this relative centrist and Biden got elected, right? And then people who are like, no, we have to like keep working and, you know, maybe potentially even like burn things down and, and kind of rebuild. From you, do you see any kind of like a semi like anarchistic or not even anarchistic, right? This like, you know, want to tear it down to build it all back up again better kind of sentiment or, or what? Um, I see that more frequently, maybe because I kind of lean on the more liberal side of 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 Democrat. And then there's like a quote from AOC who's like, if Biden and I were in Europe or something, we would be in different parties. Because, you know, like America is so ingrained in the two-party system. For her to say that, that caused a lot of uprise. It was definitely in 2020 when that happened. Yeah, no, there's definitely like, you know, there was definitely going to have to be kind of moving forward, definitely like a political reckoning still within America, even though the election's done this year, right? And, you know, thankfully, you know, from our perspective, Trump got, got elected out. It's still like, there's still a lot more work to be done. And and I think the question for like, quote unquote, the soul of the country and where it's going is not one that's going to be settled anytime soon, I think. No, it, he's definitely a transitional kid. <laughs> Any uh, all right. So, you know, now, you know, kind of hopefully, maybe it's a little bit of a lighter topic than talking about like the death of our politics and the death of our e- economy and the death of, you know, and then the pol- racial problems. Um, another, a new term that kind of, I think, gained prominence this year, uh, simping. So uh, have you come across the term simping, AJ? Oh, yes, I definitely have. Uh, yeah, this is, this is definitely one of the terms where like I – as I guess like a older millennial almost, right? Like not even that older millennial, but it's like when it first came up, it's like, wait, what? What's that? And that's a, one, another case where I'm like, wait, is this actually a new term that's like being used now? Basically, I think alongside like yeet um, as like another term, it's like, you know, just like I definitely can start to see like, oh, this is what, what it must have felt like for my parents uh, when like new, when new vocab and new slang came up. Um, so how would you define what a simp is? I feel like there's a, there are many different, definitions of simp but like in the broad term uh a simp is someone who kind of drops everything for this one thing or this one person and it's kind of they're kind of perceived as i don't know doesn't have a spine someone who doesn't have a spine it almost feels like a an offshoot of the of the idea of a stan right right like stan stan being like a super fan almost right (laughs) yeah there probably was an original definition, right? So I did a little bit of digging into the etymology of simp, right? So, you know, going back to early 20th century, it could have been shorthand for simpleton, right? Um, there was a song from 3-6 Mafia called Sippin' on Some Syrup with the line, I'm Trill, working the wheel, wheel, a pimp, not a simp. So presumably, a simp is an opposite of a pimp. Um in urban to, in the urban dictionary in 2005 somebody said a guy who tags along with hot girls because he thinks it will get him laid um some people have said you know it might be a combination of sissy and pimp um others are thinking it it's an acronym standing for sucker idolizing a mediocre pussy um and frankly, on 2019, it was actually mostly used in anti-feminist circles on Reddit, quite frankly, right? It's kind of like the the incel, like the circles on Reddit, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you're just a, you're like you're like a simp man or whatever, right? Um, kind of like in a derogatory manner, right? Mm-hmm. And then somehow this year it kind of broke into the mainstream where like everyone, not just the incels, are are basically using it, right? Which is like I find 
fascinating that like it can break out from like this niche community to like the broader mainstream and almost lose you know in 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 some senses right like so i'm a big anime fan right and you know, within the anime community there's the term weeb right like it was like weeaboo and for a long time weeb was seen as almost like a derogatory term for like you know the super cringy kind of anime fan right uh and then now it's like mainstream anime youtubers will be like, oh yeah i'm totally a weeb right or like people are just casually using oh, weeb as like a like way to it back <laughs> oh yeah almost like taking it back but also just like you know it's just like it, it's kind of become almost like a version of a, another way of saying otaku right of somebody who likes anime so in some senses i feel like simp I don't think I don't think it's fully quite to that point, but it's definitely lo- said a lot of like the negative, uh, or the, the truly negative uh, co- like origins that it had. I think. Uh, what do you what do you, what's your take on like kind of that origin story of of the term simp? You know, when as you're talking about it now, I I had no idea of what what even a, the history of the term simp was. I definitely heard it before 2020. And it was used, and that was something I had to look up or ask people what the term simp, like what simp meant. And usually I see these new phrases being thrown out on Twitter. And it, I don't really use it too much, but I definitely see it. And you, and you know what people mean when they, when they say, say it, right? Yeah. I feel like it's definitely transformed. The way it's used has transformed in 2020. For my understanding was that it's a guy who a guy who does anything for this girl who may or may not like them back but now more so like someone who loves something so much that they obsess over it kind of like thing stan it's it's moved from almost like a being a version of like the white knight like milady or whatever right like that kind of like cringy online you know quote-unquote neckbeard right um to actually being like oh i'm just like a really big fan of this right like you know i'm a simp for this for this anime character or whatever right <laughs> yeah uh, or I'm like a simp for this K-pop, for this K-pop star or whatever, right? Um, now, interesting. So, is there like an ironic sense to it? Almost like I definitely be people like seeing that. Oh yeah, you're just totally simping, right? It's like it's not meant to be like you know like a negative like call out or whatever. It's just like a you know almost kind of like I'm making a joke of how much I like something. I'm just gonna say I'm simping it, where it's like, but I'm almost like saying it and I and ironically, I don't know. Maybe this is me overthinking it. <laughs> I mean, depending on the context, it can be taken either as an insult or as a compliment. Speaking of, this is actually really interesting. This month, literally this month, Twitch actually uh, put it against the terms of service to use the term simp, actually. Really? Um, yeah, because apparently they it was being used, I guess, too much in like, like a negative, you know, kind of like calling somebody like an incel, uh, you know, kind of t- manner on, on Twitch, right? Because, you know, Twitch definitely has the thing where like, you know, they're definitely uh, – a lot of you know very popular female streamers uh, who have a lot of you know fans who are uh, throwing lots of dollars at them, and then and, and counter there are a lot of other people who are kind of making fun of those you know super fans um, for that. So they were calling them simps. Yeah. So like anyway, I'm I'm donating donating like you know a thousand dollars to your stream, and people are saying, "Oh man, stop simping for her or whatever," right? Something like that. I know that. I know it went into the the bullying realm of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, in some cases it can be used as like a bullying term. In some cases, it's like a proud. I'm a I'm a proud simp. In another case, it's like I don't know, man. Language language is weird and difficult. Yeah. 
in any case, uh, so simping, there are a lot of things you can simp for. Um, I noticed a lot of things became a lot more popular in 2020, uh, more so than in past years. So OnlyFans. Um, so what can you tell me about OnlyFans that you know about, AJ? I mean, it's like an online subscription platform that you use to a few people who have OnlyFans and create video or picture content, whether or not it's explicit. Right, right, right. It was a subscription, right? So it's like, you know, the history that I looked up was that, you know, it started in 20, actually back in 2016. And then it just basically like took off like earlier this year for some reason. I I, I don't know. Maybe is it just me? Like, am I the only one who noticed that? It's, it seems like, you know, a lot of pe- more people are saying, oh yeah, I have an OnlyFans now online than before. Or is that just a indicative of the people who I'm following online? No, it's definitely skyrocketed in popularity and it's more common to see. And I feel like because there's legal protections and privacy and the fact that you can create your own content and you control what you put on there um i see it more in the in like the porn realm like people have gone from all these big studios to independent content creators. yeah right so there's a lot of things i can't believe we're having a full-on conversation about only fans but um there are a lot of things actually i think that only fans kind of is emblematic of a lot of things in 2020 right so on one hand right there's the pandemic situation right people are you know you don't have a job or whatever, the fact that you can make money off of OnlyFans, right, through, you know, sharing pictures and, and photos, right, uh, is to some degree appealing. I mean, there was that story a couple weeks ago, I think, of like this nurse from New York City who had an OnlyFans who kind of got outed by the New York Post um, for having an OnlyFans. And, you know, obviously stop shaming people for, for doing that if that's what they choose to be doing. But the other fact is that, you know, that's just emblematic that, frankly, in some places, like working as a frontline health worker is not enough to make the rent and which is like a terrible situation. It's like one, that's kind of emblematic of the earlier economic woes we talked about. Right. Does that, does that, does that track? Am I just, am I, or am I, am I, I was actually going to bring up that story because it's talking about how, how underpaid nurses are, especially wherever she was and kind of how, you know, the, the, the trend of the side hustle definitely in 2020 came up and only a, a part of that. Right. And then another part is the, um, you know, for example, like I also remember back in the uh, wild forest, the, the forest fires in, in Australia at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. there's this one Twitter user who's like, who's like, who had an OnlyFans who was like, hey, if you send me a picture of your, of your receipt uh, of donating at least $10 to wildlife filialists, I'll send you a nude basically mm-hmm. off of my OnlyFans. And it's like, Wow, people are using their platform to like try to make a difference and like do social good. Frankly, I see was I forget the exact number, but he was able to raise a very significant amount of money, you know, through that endeavor, right? You know, there's also like the idea of you know these idea of like a parasocial relationship, right, between content creators and people who are like you know I have this quote unquote perceived relationship with someone online. Right? I mean, like, do you ever have like with your followers on Instagram, right? Like where people are like constantly commenting or do you become familiar with people or do you think people are able to relate with you and what you've been doing as like a nursing Instagrammer? No, I've actually made a, a good handful of friends from from this nursing Instagram. I'm not like a big, you know, super, uh, super popular 10,000 plus followers. It's like, it's a, it's a smaller uh, audience that I have, a much smaller audience. I do see people who comment frequently and who I'm like not as in touch with or talk to as frequently. But you recognize them, right? And when, whenever they do comment. I do, yeah. Um, and so they, they, it probably goes the other way where obviously they 
you know, see something in you enough to like follow you and, and, and keep up with you there, right? Another interesting thing about OnlyFans, apparently, you know, they, I think another reason for the big rise of OnlyFans is like a lot more celebrities got in, into OnlyFans. Um, so, you know, uh, obviously Bella Thorne, I think, is like one of the most high profile ones who, who joined OnlyFans, but also Cardi B. And it's not just females, it's also Tyga and Michael B. Jordan apparently also have OnlyFans. I didn't know Michael B. Jordan had one. <laughs> uh we'll, we'll we'll say that for after the after the call um okay so yeah but yeah i think you know kind of the combination of you know that the rise of the idea of simping um maybe people you know definitely a liberalization and, and kind of i guess more general acceptance i guess almost of like people being more aware of their sexuality and more in touch with their sexuality mm-hmm. right like which has been i think a trend not just in 2020 but in in past years as well right being proud of it and finding a way to to make money out of it and monetizing it Right, which you know, combined with the economic woes, and you know, it, it, OnlyFans, I think, is definitely, su- I think, surprisingly emblematic of 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 the kind of state of the world to some degree. Kind of a similar one, you know, not quite as not safe for work is Cameo um, became a thing this year, which was like celebrities. You know, you can pay celebrities to do sad outs, and then Patreon also has been around for a very long while, also, right? And the idea of you know. Uh, democratizing content creation through kind of this relationship between creator and audience uh, member, right? Um, again, Patreon, obviously, going up also with the side hustle thing. Another thing, so these are all, again, under the category of things you can simp for. Simp for somebody on OnlyFans, simp for your favorite celebrity on Cameo, simp for your content creator on Patreon. Uh, K-pop. So I don't think, you, you don't listen to much K-pop, do you, AJ? No, I, d- I don't really listen to K-pop. <laughs> okay, I mean... I, I don't think we can talk about simping in 2020 without talking about K-pop, uh, which granted, neither of us are huge K-pop fans, so we can't go too in-depth. But I mean, obviously, we have to acknowledge that, you know, BTS, you know, did become the first Asian act, I think, in a very, very long time, if not ever, to break number one on the Billboard 100 with some of their songs. First with Dynamite, and I believe another one of their uh, Korean songs came out. Blackpink came back. And maybe, again, it may be more emblematic of where I spend more of my time online, right? On Facebook with like subtle Asian traits, for example, or like huge K-pop fans. I see just a lot of K-pop stuff, a lot of K-drama stuff as well. Kind of like the cultural import of Korean media in the same way that anime Japanese media did maybe like five or 10 years ago, similarly. Beyond just out of the realm of, of entertainment, I mean, were you a part of the whole like K-pop, uh, K-pop fans messing with Trump's rally on TikTok? Uh, no, but I did, I did see that like my understanding from an outside of the K-pop a bubble was like sometimes people who are huge K-pop stands would be bullied by their non-K-pop loving friends or whatnot. But then in twenty in twenty twenty, they talked about different people coming together, different communities coming together to fight against Trump being elected. But then K-pop stands entered the entered the uh, the realm, and that was when they pretty much oh they took over the White Lives Matter. No, yeah, yeah, people. So there were various. I mean, there's just various hashtags that are like anti Black Lives Matter, or whatever, and then they would flood it with K-pop pictures instead yeah, I of. I love that. Know. I love seeing those fan cams. Um, and then pretty much buying out all the all the Trump rally tickets too. So they overestimated how many people would be coming, and then and it went com- almost completely undetected because it was like a lot of Gen Zers on TikTok kind of coordinating this, right? It wasn't being kind of monitored by tw- like you know as you would on like say Facebook or Twitter, like oh we should 
do this, right? It was like less popular on those platforms and more so on TikTok, right? So TikTok, and obviously I think that kind of, at least in part, led to the whole kerfuffle over uh, TikTok potentially being sold to an American company. K-pop stands have too much power in their hands. We can't let this stand. No, I'm just kidding. Keep doing you K-pop fans. Now, another one. So actually, I'm going to go ahead and share a quick link with you. Um, so on Instagram, do you know who Lil Michaela is? Uh, no, I don't know who Little Michaela is. Okay, so let me pull up her Instagram account and send it to you. Um, and tell me what you, and describe for the listeners uh, who what it is that you see, um, who, by the way, has 2.9 million followers. So this is goals for you. <laughs> <laughs> Michaela, the bio, hashtag Black Lives Matter, uh, change-seeking robot with the drip. That's what I thought. So it's very pretty young girl who's fashion forward, posing like a model. And that's what I thought. When I saw the, her face, I was like, she kind of looks familiar to me. Yeah. So what, so what, what do you, what, 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 what how, how is he familiar? She's an AI, right? Like she's yeah. computer generated model. She is, a, she is a virtual entertainer, right? A virtual influencer. So one, what do you, what's your take as like a, as a flesh influencer uh, with this, with this uh, virtual influencer? It's kind of meta for me. Um, I never really went on like a, a robo influencer <laughs> speak. Um, it's kind of weird. It kind of brings me back to, I'm actually watching a show called Race by Wolves with my boyfriend on HBO. And it's about like droids and how pretty much some droids have gone rogue and tried to take over like humanity. I'm looking at this and I'm like, what? She's my competition? I mean, she blows me out of the water, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, so yeah, Lil Michaela is an Instagram influencer who's completely digital, um, completely AI, but you know, she's actually not the first. So, I mean, you know, going back to pre-2016, um, and this is kind of in the gen- trend of virtual YouTubers, um, is, or virtual tubers, VTubers that I want to talk about. So, you do you remember the gorillas or maybe Hatsune Miku back from like pre-2016, right? Like, um, those are essentially completely virtual uh, entertainers in, in the music realm. So the first real modern uh, Instagram, or the re- first real, the first real modern virtual YouTuber, as we really know it, um, was Kizuna Ai. So do you know? Are you familiar with who Kizuna Ai is? It sounds familiar. I remember. I do remember seeing. It might have been last year or early this year. An article about the first computer-generated model, and they might have been it. Yeah. So Kizuna Ai was was a YouTuber from from Japan, right? Uh, so it's all in Japanese, right? But essentially, they would take uh, someone in a motion capture suit to basically, um, you know, they would track the motion of this individual, and then you know, voice acting and whatnot. And she would be essentially a YouTuber. She has two point eight million subscribers on YouTube right now. You know, that kind of led to uh, a surge in VTubers in Japan, um, which by January of this year, there were over 10,000 people who are using some sort of motion capture software to create a digital interface of themselves to be a VTuber. And then, so to go back to simping, right? Uh, on YouTube, there's something called Super Chat, where you can essentially pay money to get your chat message highlighted and read by the streamer in question. Seven of the 10 highest Super Chat earners uh, on YouTube were VTubers um, at the beginning of this year. Yeah, and so then it basically led. So then it basically led to uh, something called the Hollow Live Agency, uh, which is basically a whole a whole cast of VTubers out of Japan, and then they ended up making an English um, 
an English arm of the agency, um, which launched as well. And now, maybe this is just me being in the anime space, but literally I see VTubers everywhere, even if I don't watch any of them myself. And the interesting thing is, as opposed to v- Kizuna Ai, which is like a pre-recorded performance, right? These are li- live streamers. So it's like, you know, the motion capture is capturing them in real time and they're really interacting with people. But, you know, it's obviously not their physical face, it's their virtual face. So, okay. That's a lot, but as an influencer, right? Like, what's your take on these people on the rise of the fact that there's like a demand for these virtual influencers who happen to be cute anime girls most of the time? You know, I didn't really, I didn't really know that was a thing. Like these VTubers and the popularity that they have, especially. I know that there were um, virtual models. I didn't know that there was a whole other branch of influencer and content producers, content creators. So do you know who, have you heard of, uh, so do you play, you don't play League of Legends, do you? No, I don't. Okay, so KDA is a virtual, is like another virtual band, right? They're basically made up of some of some of the characters from um, from uh, League of Legends, essentially formed a girl group, basically, kind of like inspired by K-pop, right? Uh, alternate version of them are basically singing, I believe, at like the World Championships last year. They had like a virtual performance with like hol- with Tupac style holograms and everything. So what happened was there was a Twitter account by uh, a virtual influencer called Seraphine, right? Um, that kind of sprung up out of nowhere, right? She seemed like a normal girl who liked making songs. One day she made a cover of a KDA song, and then uh, it kind of from there started the storyline of oh, I'm flying out to record a new song with KDA because they liked my cover. Turns out. This was actually a marketing promotion by League of Legends for their new uh, character in the game that they were releasing of the same name, right? So they premiered this character as a virtual influencer on Twitter before actually premiering her in the game. So, okay, the fact that virtual influencers in and of themselves are have become a part of the influencer culture, and I guess kind of like one to kind of start to bring this to a close, like. What's your take on Gen Z's relationship, you know, and memes relationship with influencers in general? I mean, I just see it as a lot of simp culture, honestly. <laughs> like, um, these they're usually like you know super attractive people. I mean, I'm not too familiar with the with the virtual influencers, but those who are influencers, it's like doing so mundane things and doing the same thing that keeps them popular. Like if they're if they're like super buff or whatever chiseled like you know it's always shirtless or in like a bikini or whatnot that keeps them engaged with their engagement well these are like mainstream influence quote-unquote mainstream influencers right yeah yeah but then you have influencers like within specific spaces right like for example they're anime influencers and then obviously with you like medical influencers right so i mean what do you think like you know i remember seeing something like gen z's one of the most desired careers is like to be a youtuber or to be an influencer right um whereas previously it was like you know the more traditional traditional stuff like it used to be i want to be an astronaut is like the thing most kids want to grow up to be now it's like i want to grow up to be like a youtuber or an influencer right so like what do you make of that i guess trend overall for like future generations and like what it speaks to our society that like these influencers have so much clout and weight when i think of gen z more so i think of my I, it's hard for me because I, I can I feel like I can identify sometimes with Gen Z and sometimes I'm like I feel more millennial I kind of fall in like that weird gray area of what what generation am I 
And oftentimes, you know, when I'm talking to you, sometimes there's generational gaps and I'm like, oh, I'm, I feel definitely more Gen Z than, than millennial. Uh, when I think of Gen Z, I think of like my younger cousins um, who, who may or may not spend more time on the internet than I do. And I spend a whole lot of time on social media and on the internet. You know, I didn't know that becoming a YouTuber or becoming like an influencer was something that was coming up more in like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm sure there's a lot more analysis on what that that crazy phenomenon is. I mean, when I was growing up, I wanted to be like a paleontologist, but kids these days are saying they want to be a YouTuber. That's crazy. Yeah, it's like, you know, if if like these influencers have so much power and they have like an influence, right? It's like the ideas that they share and the and the memes that they share also, right? Like will also end up having influence on like future generations as well. Just like I don't know if that's scary. Like, you know, definitely like some influencers I've seen, like you said, like the nursing Instagram pages, like, the, like those influencers, you know, when things came pushed to stuff right in the, in the middle of this year, they, you know, turned off the joking part of it and they kind of got serious and like how to direct it. So using your platform for good is like another thing that I've, I'm seeing, you know, especially with like a lot more socially conscious, you know, Gen Z influencers more so than, than in the past. I, I, I feel like a comment that I have is that, sometimes maybe it's like Gen Z is thinking that social media and YouTube can be so effortless. I don't know if that says something about the attitudes and work ethic maybe of Gen Z, because definitely when growing up, uh, when I was younger, I thought that maybe I can be big on YouTube or something. I was actually part of a, um, collab channel at one point on youtube and we're like yeah we're definitely gonna make it big and be popular and we thought it was like a passive thing that comes like fame is something passive that comes is that an attitude that is translated to gen z who knows or maybe it's like or maybe it's now that you know they realize that hey like i want this to be my job job right it's like maybe they realize oh it's not a passive thing it's something that you have to like actively work for right who knows um all right, so you know, kind of to wrap this up, this discussion up. Obviously, you know, what are the the big trends? Kind of we we've alluded to this episode, right? Like a lot of economic strife, a lot of war strife, like, and essentially a lot of strife within our society. That kind of the pandemic and other you know factors have kind of like exacerbated and brought to the front. You know, a lot of stuff with regard to like you know Gen Z kind of gaining more prominence in society between their their focus on maybe digital influencers on you know the hustle culture and so on right like TikTok becoming more and more important what are other trends maybe we haven't mentioned or that, or you or that that we haven't talked about yet that you saw from 2020 or that maybe you see potentially coming up in 2021 as things continue i mean we can't talk about next year without talking about covid COVID's definitely vaccines, maybe. Maybe when things kind of come back to some baseline or normalcy. Like maybe maybe the trend we see is like people, quote unquote, returning to normalcy, right? Or trying to return to normalcy. And then trying to define what normal is. Right, it might be forever changed at this mm-hmm. point, right? Mm-hmm. Like we never actually go back to like having, you know, actually shaking hands again or whatever, right? I don't know the last time I was taking somebody's hand. I'm kind of interested in how when the vaccines start rolling out to the general public, what that genre of meme is going to look like and what the attitudes of that are going to be. Right, because there's definitely like 
again, another whole component of, you know, there's multiple sides to each story, right? Like, obviously, I feel like most people are like, excited about getting vaccines, but then there are also people who are like, I don't really know if I want to. There's obviously the whole like anti-vax movement as well, who are going to be using their memes to like try to discourage people from getting the vaccine or whatever, or the same people who are getting the vaccine. There's also a whole component of, of you know brown and black people who are skeptical of vaccines because of you know the historical injustices against you know those groups in relation to medical experimentation, right? And so like you know the use of memes as almost like a weapon in the war in a in a war over like you know. Trying to get people, I think will be a will be one trend I see in twenty twenty. Well, outside of like you know maybe like not. I, I know you're a nurse, right? So it's hard to like escape from like the medical stuff. But like other things, you know, that are based on what you've seen in twenty twenty and kind of where we're going into at least for these first couple of months of twenty twenty one. What do you see? Right, I maybe like something related to the Biden campaign or Biden Biden presidency, right? Um, maybe the remnants of whatever Donald Trump. Yeah, I was going to say like around. what's going to happen happen to Donald Trump? Um, you know when he's booted out. How is the first um, weeks of, or the first hundred days of Biden? He's definitely going to get a lot of slack. Um, I can imagine that maybe memes like coming back from, oh, we were in the baking portion of the quarantine, and now it's already May of 2021, and <laughs> and we're still, you know, in our kitchens making sourdough bread or roaring twenties memes. Warren twenties memes will be those. Yeah, invest now in Warren twenties. What about memes about like the racial injustice, right? Like, where do you think that conversation is going to go? You know, that's kind of difficult because I feel like it's almost now normalized one to talk about them, but then when all of these when these events happen, you know, when George Floyd happened, it was like a big uprising, right? But then with each new one that that happens and becomes publicized. We become. I'm scared of becoming more desensitized. So I hope that does, though, take is still important and relevant in 2021. And, and you know, heaven forbid, you know, there's no other incident in 2021 that would like spark something like that, right? And but it's usually like some inciting incident that did cause people to want to learn more and talk about it. Right. That's like a double-edged sword, right? It's like, you know, you need to have a, a tragedy in order for actual change to, to get on, which may, maybe doesn't speak too kindly. You know, this is a very depressive episode on like kind of like the state of, <laughs> state of our culture. But yeah, I mean, sorry, not, not, but not to be a downer. Is there anything positive I think you're looking forward to in 2021, either personally or, or even, you know, more broadly for, for all of us? I'm waiting for the day that I can fly and travel without, you know, having to worry too much or maybe eat out. Um, and some time with friends. It's winter right now. Well, when we're recording this, it's winter. We just started. And so, like, seasonal depression is coming. COVID depression is coming. Economic depression is here. <laughs> and and it's all coming back. And I remember in the summer, I felt some form of freedom for just, like, a hot second. And that's something, you know, that's been taken away. Um, so hopefully we get to see more of that. Hopefully, like, you know, at least in the States, like April, May, June, once the vaccine is like more widely spread, we'll be able to to get out and about again. Yeah. I'm just looking for good times in 2021. And I'm not going to make any pr- predictions of, you know. Fair enough. <laughs> it, leave, leave, 20, leave 2020 in hindsight. Yes. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I think we'll leave it on that note. You know, obviously, you know. Maybe maybe 2020 wasn't the happiest year of the year of of you know that we, that we lived so far, but you know we just got to be real about what we experienced. You know, 
kind of put that to rest behind us through the memes, through whatever we've experienced, and then move on into 2021. Um, so speaking of, is there anything you'd like to plug, AJ, uh, as, an inst- as an influencer uh, for everyone listening right now? Sure. I mean, if you're interested, if you want to check out my social media, you can hit me up at AJ the Nurse on Instagram or Twitter. That's really all I have that I want to plug. Oh, actually, there was a podcast episode on the daily that really resonated to me that you should all listen to. It was talking about the wins, someone your wins in 2020. It was a really poignant episode. I will include those in the show notes. Uh, thanks again so much, AJ, for digging into all these depressing topics with me about 2020. Um, you know, again, hopefully we have better lights, better things to look forward to in 2021. Knock on wood. Um, but yeah, and yeah, uh, thanks again. Uh, thanks so glad to have you on. Hello.